three parts of all of our lives in, 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 the, in the context of this story. Number one is what we get. Everybody say what we get. Number two is what we lose. Number three, number three, number three is what we have left. What we get, what we lose, and what we have left. Everybody listen. This includes family. This includes losing loved ones. Losing your mom, your dad, your grandparents, your spouse, even your children. <clears throat> losing one child is, has to be one of the most traumatic things that could ever happen to somebody, to a family. But I do know somebody that's lost at least two. Uh, during my pastoral ministry, one of the most challenging situations I've ever faced. How do you comfort a mother who has lost two grown children? And as I've mentioned recently, we have a family that we know and love very, very much, and they've lost several, several of their family members over the past year or so, and the difficulty of that is inexplainable. We can lose our job, and it can be very traumatic. We can, we can have friends, and we can lose friends. We can lose friends through conflict. We can lose friends through misunderstanding. We can have friends move away, etc. We can lose money. People have gone bankrupt or come close to it. People have lost their homes, etc., I want to take this a step further. God even has a way of taking away your religion. He can. He can take away your religion. He can take your traditions away. But everybody hear me. God doesn't take away everything. He will always leave you something. If you don't get that, if you don't understand that, you're going to miss the content and context of this message today. We don't always see it this way. And um, when we lose things, we have a propensity to magnify the loss over what we have left. Someone told Brother and Sister Wheeler when their son Josh was horribly killed in a, uh, an accident by a drunk driver. Somebody said to them, they of course have 10 kids, and you all know that, that know them. Somebody said, well, doesn't the other, just having nine left, doesn't that help? No, it doesn't. You still want the one you've lost. I have been stark guilty through my pastoral ministry of, Sister Murphy will tell you this, of over-magnifying what I've lost over what I have left. Because God has left, no matter what you've experienced, I'm going to prove that to you today in the Word of God, no matter what you've gone through, no matter what you've experienced and how hurtful and tragic it has been, and I'm saying that in all due respect. 
Because of the fact that God has left us a stump. We can proclaim loudly from the mountaintop. We're coming. We're coming. Because he has left us a stump. We can loudly proclaim we're coming. Why is that important? Now you can put the the pick of the stump up there. With the stuff growing out of it. Y'all see that? This is what a stump can do. It used to be a mighty tree. The Bible described Babylon as a mighty tree that fowls, could birds could land in the branches. It was shade for wild animals. It was a mighty tree. It was a big, glorious tree. And God cut it down. And when he said to leave the stump, this is what he had in mind. This is what God saw. We've seen stumps everywhere. But have you ever seen one like that one? I have. We have one behind the A Center. We had a tree cut down a number of years ago. I walked back there not long after and noticed there were sprouts sticking up out of that thing about that tall. Stumps, believe it or not, as dead and old and abandoned as they look, they can bring forth new life. I'm seeing that here at Grace Church. I'm seeing it happen in front of my eyes. God wants us to know that he's the God of what we have lost. He's the God of what we have lost. But he is also the God of what we have left. Hallelujah to God. I could run the aisles myself if I could. This is a mighty revelation. This is an awesome revelation. And if you can get a hold of it, it'll change your life. No matter what you think God has taken away from you, it doesn't matter what it is. I'm here to proclaim to you today, he's left you something. There's something there that he can work with to bring life back to you, to bring hope back to your family, to bring joy back to your heart. Woo! Hallelujah. If God allows you to lose something, he didn't need it to fulfill his purpose and will in your life. He didn't need it. I remember when my dad passed away. I was 16 years old, and it blew our family apart. And I moaned and groaned and whined and cried for over a year over that, and rightfully so. Our our, our whole family did. My dad's birthday just passed. He would have been 105 if he was still living. Uh, And our family celebrated that via text and all of that. We still miss him and whatever. But this is what I've discovered and learned in this scripture setting. Where I thought I needed him to grow on and move on with my life. And to do the will and purpose of God. God said... No, you don't. And God was right. I thought I needed him. But God didn't need him. There were things that you've lost that you thought would just completely destroy your life. 
and leave you empty and reeling and hopeless. You thought you needed it, whatever it was. But God knew he didn't need it. When COVID hit, I'll mention this again in a moment. I want to say it twice. We lost 50 plus people and 40 to 45% of our church income. I thought, in all due respect, to all of those sweet people that I still love dearly, I thought I needed them. I thought Grace Church would just go to pot because they left. I focused and magnified what I've lost. And God gave me a message last year, and I preached a title, This Bunch. Some of you may remember that. God skirted around this even then, that God was going to take this bunch of people, that stump I just showed you, and there's some sproutings coming up out of it. There's some growth coming up out of it. There's some love, there's some life coming out of it. And we see it all over this building today. So while we grieve over what we've lost, God is working with what we have left to perform his purpose and will in our life. Even Jesus lost one of his disciples. Jesus lost his secretary treasurer. Jesus lost a man that could have been in his inner circle. Listen to pastor. Listen to pastor. What we've lost to us is sorrowful. But what we have left is powerful. We're coming. This ought to take somebody to a whole nother level, to a whole nother dimension in your relationship with God. We're not reeling here this morning. We're not barely making it. We didn't limp into this building. We didn't come in here crawling. I walked in here this morning with my shoulders squared and my chin left high, and I can rejoice today that God has left me something for the future, and he's building it right now. He's working it right now in front of my very eyes. I proclaim to you in the name of Jesus, We're coming, we're coming, we're coming, we're coming, we're coming. Life is back, growth is back, excitement is back, joy is back, faith is back. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You may be seated. Israel did and did very evil in the sight of the Lord. And, 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 and God allowed Israel to be delivered into the hands of the Midianites for some seven years. Israel was so afraid, they hid in caves and dens. And when Israel would plant crops, the Midianites would come and steal them. The Midianites took their cattle, their sheep, they took everything from them. And the Bible said that the children of Israel said, we're like grasshoppers compared to the Midianites. We have no strength, we have no hope, there's nothing. The children of Israel 
compared to the Midianites, the Bible said the Midianites were without number. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And they began, Israel began to cry unto the Lord. God sent a prophet to Israel and said, I'm going to deliver you out of the hands of the Midianites. And we all know the story of how he called Gideon to deliver Israel. We know the story, don't have time to go through it, but Gideon didn't believe it. So he fleeced God two or three times. And finally, somehow, God was able to persuade him. God, we don't have an army. We don't have nothing. We don't have nothing. His mentality was, we've lost everything. We have nothing to work with. So God persuaded Gideon to go ahead and I mean God had to send to Gideon the angel who was the commander of the guard of heaven and just the sight of that angel said Gideon said okay I'll do it that's kind of how I feel here today God has just shown up in such a mighty way so Gideon spread word he got on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and all that stuff And he called for all the men of Israel to report for duty. And only 32,000 showed up. That ain't very many when you're facing an army that's innumerable. I don't think y'all are here. Y'all are just way too laid back and stretched out and lazy boying right now and fooling around on your phone and your mind's on Facebook and all that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm trying to help all of us here today. There's a big leap that Grace Church needs to take right now. We've been taking baby steps. We're fixing to leapfrog forward a long ways here in just a few minutes. 32,000 showed up. And I'm sure when those 32,000 showed up, Gideon's like, really? I mean, I agreed to do this, and this is all you're going to give me to work with. Well, God wasn't done. But not in the way we think. Oh, we're going to pray. And God tomorrow is going to send out two or three more million men. They're just going to pop up out of the ground. Trees are going to start turning into men. And bushes are going to start turning into chariots. And man, we're going to have this massive army. That ain't how God worked. God said, Gideon. It's my microphone on. Gideon. 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 You have too many men. (laughs) Gideon is this number right here. Knees smoting once against the other. And so Gideon, (coughs) okay, God, he remembers that angel that showed up and really don't have any choice and more afraid of the angel than he is his task. I wish sometimes we could be more fearful of God of what God may cause to happen to us by not obeying him than we are by not obeying the task in front of us. That just came to me, and that'll preach right there. So he stands up. I want to make a long story short. I've got a long ways to go. He said, if you are afraid of the Midianites, go home. And 22,000. 
You put yourself in the place of, of Gideon, those of you that are giggling about this. You put yourself in his sandals. What would you do? <laughs> I don't care what angel just showed up and talked to me. I'm done with this business. And here comes the voice of God again. You know the story. Uh, testing one, two, God. Uh, Gideon, this is God. Gideon, this is the Lord. You still have too many men. Take them to a river. And those that lap water without looking over their shoulder, they're not of any value to you. Send them home. And 9,700 went home. <laughs> it's almost comical. It is. You've got an, an army sitting over there on the hilltop watching all of this stuff. I'm sure they knew something was going on when the 32,000 showed up. And they just keep seeing these men walk away. And the Midianites are, ha, 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 this is going to be a piece of cake. They only have 300 left. And Gideon is just, his heart is pounding out of his chest. God, what am I going to do with all this stuff? But when you understand that God is not going to win this victory for you, Gideon, with what you've lost, God is going to win this victory for you with what you have left. See, there's about eight people that needs to be on your feet hooping and hollering and shouting and screaming right now. Somebody get up and clap your hands and shout, yes. Somebody shout, we're coming. Somebody shout, we're coming. We're coming. We're coming. God can take everything from you, but he will always leave you something. It's the power of a stop. Woo. Hallelujah. 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 Judges 7, 7, And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the 300 men that lapped water, what a qualification. You're, you're going to be a good soldier. You're, you're, you're my man. You're the one I'm looking for right there. That's how that came down. By the 300 men that lapped, will I save you? We must trust and be full of courage this morning. God has us in the palm of his hand. And his purpose will be done in our life. If we stay true to him, he will do it with what we have left. Everybody say, we're coming. We're coming. Okay, it was better the first time. We're coming. All right. Let's look at another man that we know the story very well. Time is running out. I'm not going to have time to, to read the scripture setting, even though I want to, even though I will read verse 12 in Job uh, chapter 1, verse 12. Everybody knows the story of Job. In verse 12, the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he has, everything he has is in your power. Satan, except for one thing, <laughs> I have to leave Job with something. I have to leave him with something. God set a precedent in the story of Job, and we all know that the story of Job happened early on in the Bible, even around the time of Adam. 
We all know that. So God set a precedent in the whole entire Bible for the rest of the Bible for what I'm preaching to you here today. God will let the devil take whatever he wants out of our lives, but he will never let him take everything. I think y'all are, y'all are getting on board with me here a minute. Watch this. We talk about Job's hedge, but it's really Job's hedges. There was more than one. God told the devil, you can take everything he has. One hedge goes down. But there's at least two more standing. Are y'all with me this morning? Okay. Take everything he has. I'll let down one hedge. You can take everything he has. But you can't touch him. So the devil does that. All of his kids die and it's horrible. He loses his animals. He loses everything. And he's still worshiping God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Here comes the devil back and said, I took everything he has. And he's still excited about his relationship with you. If you'll take down another hedge and let me touch him, I will make him curse you to your face. God said, okay. Hedge number two. Down it goes. And so here's Job covered in boils. And he's, his, even his own wife walks in and says, why don't you just curse God and die? And Job looks at her and says, you speak to me as a foolish woman. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Thank the Lord. The devil was able to walk into the life of Job and wreak havoc in his body and destroy his body. But he couldn't touch his spirit. He couldn't touch his attitude. So the devil walks back into God and said, I'm out of answers. I don't know what else to say here because I can't take everything away because you always leave him something that keeps his faith intact, that keeps his courage intact, that keeps his confidence intact. Oh, God, I feel the Holy Ghost here today. Thank the Lord. Listen to Pastor. Whatever the devil leaves, God takes and works miracles and signs and wonders in our life. If only we don't get bitter and if only we don't get too angry, we're coming. Oh, my, we're coming. Let me move on. I'm running out of time. The clock's not a friend. In 1 Samuel chapter 29, the infamous David, who when he was on fire for God, he was amazing. But when he got carnal, he was horrible. On fire for God, I killed a giant, a lion, and a bear. Man, I accomplished so stuff, but when I got carnal, I committed adultery and had her husband killed. Pretty horrible man. But in 1 Samuel 29, David and his very loyal 600 soldiers wanted to fight with the Philistines against one of their enemies they had in common. So David left his home in Ziklag. That'd make a good name. Your next baby. Ziklag, get in here. Y'all think he'd be called Zigzag or something like that all of his life? Don't name your baby that. Don't name him Nebuchadnezzar either for that matter. 
If you have one named Nebuchadnezzar, congratulations. Just let me know how old he is before he can spell it. But David left his home in Ziklag and wanted to join up with the Philistine army. Notice his heart was right. His motives were right. His attitude was right. But the upper echelon of the Philistine army didn't totally trust David because he was an Israelite. And they wouldn't allow him and his men to fight with him, so they sent him home. Most of you know the story. When he returned back home to Ziklag, another enemy called the Amalekites had already gone to the little town of Ziklag, burned it to the ground, and noticed they didn't kill anybody. They just took everything that David had hostage, captured them, and took them away, including David's two wives. The Bible said that David was greatly distressed. The Bible said that David and the people that were with him wept until they had no more power to weep. And his men rose up against him wanting to stone him. And it goes without saying that this was a very dark time in the life of David. God had blessed him. God had anointed him. David had won some amazing and miraculous victories. And here he is in the middle of an event and circumstance in his life that was so dark and bleak. And even his own men wanted to stone him to death. This is where David perhaps thought, that he had truly lost everything. And this is where the writer says that infamous statement, David encouraged himself and the Lord, we're coming. I don't make you run the aisles nearly as fast as the other stuff does, but if you can just encourage yourself one more time to make it through one more day, you talk about a victory. The devil didn't win today. The devil didn't get me today. The devil didn't cause me to give up. The devil didn't make me backslide. The devil didn't make me compromise. I'm preaching to some people here today. You thought you've lost everything. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. When, you, when there's no evidence of anything left, God still has something for you to proceed with his will and purpose for your life. Oh, goodness. Oh, goodness. So David does the right thing. He goes and talks to his pastor. The Bible refers to Abiathar as a priest, but I'll refer to him as David's pastor. And he got some counseling from his pastor. And his pastor agreed that your family and your people are worth fighting for. So David... In the power of your might, you pursue the Amalekites. They may be more in number, but they don't exceed you in passion. They don't exceed you in faith. They don't exceed you in confidence. They don't even have a relationship with God, David, as you have it. So you pursue the Amalekites. The pastor said, we're coming. Am I doing okay here today? Am I going too fast for everybody? Are y'all on board with me? Somebody shout yes. I don't know if the Bible, I don't know and the Bible doesn't say if Abiathar had any knowledge or foresight about what was about to happen. But I am rather amazed 
that as David told him the story of what happened, that he had lost everything and that his men were against him and wanted to stone him, his pastor said, it don't matter. You pursue your family. You pursue your friends. You pursue what belongs to you. I could preach here a long time. But again, the pastor said, we're coming. So David did, and somehow he persuaded his 600 men to go with him and just fight one more time. I'm asking Grace Church, would you please fight with me just one more time? We've got some ground to make up. We've got some people to win. We've got some people to bring back. We've got some things to accomplish. We've got some praying that needs to be done. We've got some committing that needs to be done. We've got some fighting that needs to be done. I've encouraged myself in the Lord for the last time. I want somebody to say we're with you. We're going to do this. We're coming. We're coming. And Grace Church is coming. God, I feel the Holy Ghost. God, I feel such anointing right now. You may be seated. Somewhere after David began his pursuit of the Amalekites, somewhere during this time of pursuit, 200 of those 600 men had a meeting with David and said, we just can't go anymore. This is so difficult. David, we're hungry. We haven't eaten. We're thirsty. We just can't take another step. The Bible said they were so faint they could not go any further. If there's people here today that feel like that, that's okay. Just take it easy. We'll go ahead and fight. And then when we get to a point where we can, We'll come back and get you. That's another sermon for another time. We're coming back. So now David loses even more. With the sanction of his pastor, now he loses even more. So let's review for a moment. David wanted to join up with the Philistines to fight a common enemy. The Philistines wouldn't let him do it. So he returned home to Ziklag. It was burned to the ground. His family and his people were all taken captive. And then his loyal men turned against him, wanting to stone him. To David, there was nothing left. So he went to his pastor, and his pastor said, Go after them. And the people that have taken your family and your wives and all your loyal, faithful friends, you go pursue them with all your might. We're coming. And where David thought he absolutely had nothing left, God still left him something. David had one more thing that he could use to bring about the purpose and will of God in his life. But he didn't see it. It wasn't visible. It literally, physically was not visible. Perhaps David thought if he understood this precedent. Perhaps he thought that he would be the first person that God would call, that God would bless, that God would anoint a man whose footsteps were guided by God himself. 
Perhaps David thought that I'm going to be the first man in the Bible that God will allow everything to be taken away from me and I will have nothing left to fight with for the future. I'm going to be the first one, but not so. So when David crossed over the brook, Besor, the Bible said they ran into an Egyptian man, an Egyptian man. David's men found him and brought him to David. He was starving to death, so David gave him bread and he ate. And they gave him water and they gave him a fig cake, two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, the man's spirit came back to him, for he did not eat or drink anything, the Bible said, for three days. Everybody watch. Look at the screen. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 13. Everybody look at it. And David said unto this man, To whom belongest thou? Who do you belong to? Where did you come from? And he said, I am a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite, and my master left me. My master left me. His master thought that he had left this man behind because he didn't want him anymore, because he was useless to him and of no value anymore. The truth is, God had his master leave him because David needed him. This man, this Egyptian, this servant to an Amalekite, this slave, that was half starved, was going to lead David back to his family. He went on to say, not knowing who David was, he said, we made an invasion in Ziklag and we burned the place with fire. And this is where I believe a huge light came on in David's head. I thought God took everything from me. And I didn't, he didn't leave me anything to work with to accomplish his purpose and will for my life. But when I had gone as far as I could go and I had done all I could do, I stumbled across this stranger, this Egyptian, this Amalekite, this servant, this sick man. This is what God left me. And the man, this stranger who is sick and starving, this servant abandoned by his master has the ability not only to take me back to my family, but he can lead me to my enemy. Oh. oh God the Bible said David pursued the Amalekites and defeated them and brought back his family, his wives and his people back to a place of safety back to a place of restoration back to a place of hope and David went on to become the man God wanted him to be Grace Church we're coming I believe our ad is going to reach some people. I don't know who they are. I've already preached to you and referred to the balcony, the balcony people. They're not here yet, but they're coming. I don't know who's going to walk in. And it may be a stranger. But I want us to understand that it may be that person that leads us to the greatest revival we've ever experienced here at Grace Church. We're coming. So, as I wrap this up, 
Let me illustrate to you the power of a stump. Put my picture back up there, please. I can't see who's back there. Is that Peyton? Y'all look at that. It don't look like much does. It's not even that pretty. I wouldn't put that in front of my house as a hedge. I want that in the backyard where nobody can see it. But that's the source of our life right now. We're coming back. That's what we look like. Everybody sitting in this building, virtually everybody sitting in this building, that's what you look like right there. I'm not going to say it. <laughs> to illustrate the power of a stump, think about Noah and the ark story. God proved that he could cleanse the earth by destroying the entire population. But even in that story, God saved himself with something. Y'all understand how big this planet is. I'm not going to go into all those statistics. You understand how big it is? God has replenished the entire planet up to what is it, 8 billion people now? And he started with 8. That's the power of a stump. I open with this, and I'm going to bring this to a conclusion with this. God showed me last year. He spoke to me last, last September as I was having lunch with Dave Bunch. I was at the end of my road, had no vision for this church. I couldn't come up with a plan for rebuilding it, nothing. But God spoke to me that day and gave me a message that I entitled this much. For all that I lost as pastor since COVID, some 50 people, 40 to 45% of our church income, God is showing to me now the power of a stump. And in all due respect, he allowed people to leave that I thought I needed. And what I didn't see is that he left me with the people I did need. What I needed stayed. What I needed stayed. And I am standing here today and I'm watching God do his will and purpose before my very eyes. We're coming. If you'll stand with me here, I want to, I preach to our church, but I feel hugely compelled in preparation for this I felt compelled and I still do there's people here today that needs to take this personal I want everybody to open your heart and mind our guest here today most of you I'm sorry I'm not sure I know who you are so in conclusion today I want to bring to you a woman she's found in the New Testament we don't know her name what we do know is the Bible said that she had lost everything that she had. One commentator believes that possibly she was married and had kids and she even lost them. So in her mind she's lost everything. She lost her money she lost all of her ability to support herself. Her church couldn't help her. Her family couldn't help her. And in her mind, she truly had nothing left. She suffered a physical condition, and the Bible just simply called it an issue of blood. She lost her health. 
She exhausted every possible lead, every remedy, every doctor. She truly had nothing left. She But then the Bible said she heard about Jesus. When she decided to try to find him, she was too embarrassed to face him. She was humiliated. Just a terrible, awful time. She was too embarrassed to talk to him. If you remember that story, Jesus was on his way to pray for Jairus' daughter who was sick unto death. He was being mobbed by the crowd. And later in the story, I believe Jesus revealed that he knew this woman was coming. Of course he knew, but he revealed it. He said, somebody has touched me. And the disciples go, duh. There's people everywhere. You're surrounded by people on every side. You're virtually being mobbed. So, yes, somebody's touching you right now, Jesus. He said, no, 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 no. Somebody has taken something out of me. Virtue has gone out. Y'all get that? He didn't give it. This woman took it. Finally, they discovered this little frail woman who had nothing left, or at least she thought she had nothing. But Jesus had left her something. There's a little obscure part of the law of Moses when God designed all the priest, high priest clothing, what have you. When he designed the robe of the priest, he put a hem on it a certain way that spoke hope and promise to people if they touched it I don't know how that little woman knew this but she managed to squeeze her way through the crowd and the Bible said when she touched the hem of his garment she was made whole on everybody today there's, there's some individual people here today. You need to hear this right now. You feel like you've lost everything. And if you don't feel like you've lost everything, you feel like you've lost what's the most important to you. Family, church, friends, career. And you have nothing in your hands to work with. I'm telling you about Jesus right now so you've heard of him. And when you have nothing to bring to him, he makes himself available in such a way that you can take something out of him even when he's not giving it. John the Baptist did that. The kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent taken by force. So... David, just step out here for a second. So if you could just find it in your heart. David, he's distracted. He's looking out over there. He, he's not even paying attention. You got people all around you. Jesus is just surrounded by people. And all this woman did, can y'all see my hand? Can y'all see my hand? She just touched. That's it. Y'all don't, y'all, y'all still not hearing me today. She just touched. She just If you can do that today, if you can do that today, God can turn your life around.
there's somebody here right now and they're sitting over here. Somebody's sitting over here. I don't know who you are. You're sitting over here. God wants to do something for you right now. God wants to do something for you right now. You feel like God don't want to give you what you need. I'm, I'm giving you the authority by a duly called man of God. You come to Jesus this morning and you take it. You take it. Because faith don't keep things from flowing out of him. Courage doesn't stop things from flowing out of you. The will of God wants to be accomplished in your life today, even when God has his back on you. When God seemingly has turned his back on you, walk up to him anyway and say, I'm going to extend a hand of faith and courage because you left me something. It's not in my possession. It's in yours. And I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it. God, I feel the Holy Ghost. Y'all start singing right now and playing something right now. Everybody come forward. Everybody come out. Somebody come on. Come on. You come too, no matter who you are. God wants you to know that even when you feel like he's got his back turned on you, you can still touch him. Darkness falls and won't breathe. For the God I knows only how to triumph. My God will never fail. Oh, my God will never fail. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see.
See you.